Hey there, friends. Welcome to the Musculoskeletal Minute, presented by Basics of Ortho, where it's just the basics. We aim to boost your musculoskeletal knowledge and build your confidence in caring for common orthopedic conditions. I'm your host, Jason Coggins. All right, folks, so today we're going to talk about the posterior cruciate ligament. We're going to pick up talking more about uh, knee anatomy. Uh, the posterior cruciate ligament, the backdoor neighbor to the anterior cruciate ligament, and the lesser injured of the two. So let's get started talking a little bit about the anatomy. So as the name implies, it is in the posterior aspect. Uh, it is behind the anterior cruciate ligament. Its origin attachment is on the medial wall of the posterior medial femoral condyle. It traverses slightly anterior and inferior and it attaches on the tibial sulcus uh, somewhat centrally uh, but also uh, another attachment a little bit laterally in that posterior aspect of the knee. So if you uh, check out my YouTube video you can see a drawing that I do on this as well as show you a, uh, a, a model so you can get that mental image in your head of uh, what the PCL uh, anatomy looks like and how it traverses but as I've talked about in the past if you think about the anatomy of a ligament and its origin and attachment points you can then deduce its function so if you look at the attachment points of the posterior cruciate ligament uh, you can figure out that its function is to prevent posterior translation of the tibia so that's its basic anatomy and its primary function Moving into uh, an injury to the posterior cruciate ligament, what would be a typical mechanism? Well, if you read the textbooks and talk with various uh, instructors, this is your typical dashboard injury from a motor vehicle accident. This is a person sitting in the seat, not wearing a seat belt. Their knees are flexed. They hit a car from behind or slam on brakes, and the, the person is thrown forward and their tibia at the tibial tubercle hits the dashboard and forces it backwards. And if that force is great enough, uh, it can injure that PCL, whether it be just a partial injury, uh, a grade 1 or 2 uh, sprain, or a complete injury, a grade 3 tear. Um, but again, that's the, the textbook description of what a mechanism uh, of injury is for the posterior cruciate ligament. Others, I've seen these in sports, particularly football. Uh, when a, a football player gets hit uh, from uh, the front and it drives that proximal tibia posteriorly. Uh, this can also happen a lesser uh, known mechanism on a uh, hyperflexed knee with a plantar flexed ankle. Uh, that also will cause that proximal tibia to translate backwards. How would a person present uh, with a PCL injury? So First and foremost, they have to have a, a mechanism that's fitting of the injury. If you have a patient that uh, has had a dashboard injury, then you know, that PCL injury should definitely be in your differential diagnosis. But outside of that, what is a patient going to complain of? A lot of the same complaints that they would with any other uh, knee injury. Uh, they're going to complain of pain. Uh, they may even have uh, swelling or effusion. They can complain of tightness. Uh, depending on the severity, they may or may not be able to weight bear. Uh, the acuity of the injury can also play a part in that. If someone had an injury 
six months ago and never had it formally checked out, they may not have a tremendous amount of pain. Um, but those are awesome things that a patient may complain of. Are there any questions that you can ask the patient to uh, further help you in determining whether or not uh, a PCL injury uh, should stay in your differential diagnosis? Um, it's not as clear-cut as, say, an ACL injury. Uh, PCL tears do not always prevent with a, a ton of instability, but that is certainly one question that you could ask is, do they have any instability? And if they do, uh, with what type of activities? Do they feel like their knee is hyperextending? Uh, that's another uh, way to ask that, because if they, they feel like their knee is constantly hyperextending, that tibia could be uh, translating posteriorly, causing that sensation. So what would you look for on exam? Well, the things we just talked about that they may complain of. So if it's an acute episode, they very well may have a knee effusion. Uh, from a tenderness uh, to palpation standpoint, they may not have uh, any significant focal tenderness, uh, but you certainly want to palpate all important bony structures to rule out other issues. Um, from a range of motion standpoint, again, depending on the acuity, whether or not there's an effusion, they may or may not have uh, range of motion deficits. Uh, certainly, if someone has a large effusion, they may lose a bit of flexion due to the tightness that they feel in their knee uh, from that effusion. Now, here's where the most significant part of the exam lies with a PCL. It's in the special test, uh, which is true for many other orthopedic conditions. That's why they have special tests. But uh, special test specific to the posterior cruciate ligament uh, is uh, the posterior drawer, patient lying supine, uh, knee flex to 90 degrees, foot flat on the table. You as the examiner uh, have thumbs on either side of the patellar tendon and you push in a posterior direction. And you're looking to see how far you can translate that tibia posteriorly. And you want to compare this bilaterally uh, to the uninjured side. Uh, the other test uh, is called the SAG sign. Uh, it's more of a sign. It's something you're looking for as opposed to something you're really doing. And with this, you are, as the examiner, holding both of the patient's lower extremities, hip flex to 90 degrees, knees flex to 90 degrees, and you're supporting the legs under uh, the lower leg closer to the ankle. And you're paying special attention to the tibial, tibial tubercle. And you're looking to see if the affected side tibial tubercle sits more posterior or lower than the unaffected side. And if they do have that, then that is a positive SAG sign and is indicative of posterior cruciate ligament injury. Now, the final test that I'm going to bring up isn't a PCL test specifically. It's an anterior cruciate ligament test. It's the gold standard uh, special test for ACLs, and that's a Lachman. And I'm bringing up the Lachman because I've been burned a couple times, at least, if not more, thinking a person had an ACL tear uh, because they have a, had a significant amount of translation with a Lachman. Uh, and when I ordered the MRI and get that back, it lo and behold showed an intact ACL but a torn PCL. So I had come to learn that it was a false positive Lachman. And the reason for that is that that PCL was torn causing that proximal tibia 
to start in a posterior position. So, yes, it had a lot of translation, but it was a lot of translation because it started too far posterior because that PCL was torn. So uh, you can use and gather a lot of information about the Lachman or about the PCL using the Lachman, but it's not specifically a PCL test. So based on your exam, you suspect a patient may have a PCL tear. What kind of imaging do we do? Well, you certainly want to get a, a plain x-ray, at least three views, AP, lateral, and tangential, uh, to make sure there's no associated bony injuries, but you're not going to see a whole lot. Um, you may see a little bit of a posterior uh, position of the proximal tibia uh, on the lateral view, but again, you're not going to gather a lot of information uh, about the PCL. So again, based on your history and exam, uh, you suspect a PCL tear, uh, the way to image that is an MRI. That's going to give you your diagnosis. So what do you do with that information? Well, treatment of PCL tears uh, isn't quite as aggressive as, say, ACL tears uh, because they don't, in most cases, present uh, a whole lot of uh, disability uh, or instability. So if, particularly if it's a grade 1 or 2 PCL sprain, there's no associated injuries. Acutely, you want to treat uh, as you would... Uh, any acute injury you know, with uh, rest, relative rest that is, uh, icing regularly to reduce inflammation and swelling, um, oral anti-inflammatories or non-opioid analgesics, elevation, compression to help control swelling and effusion. And uh, you can also provide a uh, hinge knee brace uh, for a bit of stability as well. So that's grade one and two for sure. Now, even some grade threes, complete tears, can function just fine uh, with conservative treatment after that initial acute injury treatment with physical therapy and potentially even a, a, a PCL brace. Now, uh, the most beneficial of these are, are custom braces. These are the ones that you would definitely lean more towards in your high-functional uh, folks, uh, whether it be occupation or athletics, uh, and that in combination with a good uh, physical therapy regimen uh, can, in a lot of cases, allow people to, to get by and what they have to do and avoid surgical intervention. But then again, surgery is certainly an option, uh, and it's a, a strong one to consider, especially for your higher level athletes and workers especially if they're younger and don't have any other associated pathology going on in the knee. Um, there is some debate as to whether or not PCL uh, tears chronically uh, lead to arthritis sooner in life. But uh, again, that's you know, debated. It's not uh, a definite thing. So, in the non-orthopedic setting, when should you refer a suspected PCL tear? Well, if you're in an urgent care emergency room and you suspect a PCL tear, more than likely you're, you're not going to get that MRI. You're going to say, oh, this person has likely got a PCL tear. Uh, you're going to treat the acute uh, issues at hand, give them some crutches if they're not able to weight bear. Uh, a lot of ERs provide knee immobilizers. I'm not a huge fan because we usually just take those off and get rid of them uh, at our first orthopedic visit. Uh, 
Uh, if there's a, a telescoping hinge knee brace or a uh, longer armed hinge knee brace, uh, that is certainly preferable. But uh, so your ER and urgent care settings are going to you know, treat the acuity and refer uh, for their immediate post-op with, or not post-op, but immediately follow-up uh, with orthopedics. Uh, it's certainly reasonable within a week. Uh, as far as being a primary care setting, especially if you're a primary care sports medicine setting, um, you could manage these all the way through in most cases. Um, but if you're not primary care sports medicine, just regular primary care, uh, you can certainly treat it as we mentioned with like the urgent care setting would. But uh, in the grade one and two setting, you, you could certainly go ahead and um, you know, brace, treat the acute issues, the effusion, swelling, um, and get them started with physical therapy and see how they do. And then if there's not significant improvement, you could uh, have them follow up with orthopedics. Um, but then again, uh, in your specific location and your uh, specific supervising uh, physicians or whatever your practice uh, protocol is, um, you, you certainly want to do what uh, is considered protocol for your particular group uh, or location. Um, but I think PCL injuries are certainly reasonably managed conservatively in a PCP setting if the injuries uh, mild, uh, because a lot of times it can be um, non-surgical. So with that, I'm going to finish up, and I uh, hope you have uh, enjoyed this and learned a little something, and I look forward to our next meeting. All right. I hope you enjoyed listening to today's segment as much as I did doing it. I trust that you'll find today's podcast useful in advancing your musculoskeletal knowledge, and I look forward to having you join me for the next segment of the Musculoskeletal Minute. You can find out more on our website, www.basicsofortho.com. Please visit and become a member of the community. Have a great day.